We are, we are in a sermon series entitled The Hunt, and this is a look at the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon was hunting for purpose, meaning, joy, and life. It's a very applicable book for what we go through today, and I'm going to need one of them, the, the clicker. I don't have the clicker. Awesome. Thank you. That reminds me of the first week I preached here, and Nicole brought up the clicker, and I said, in, over the loudspeaker, I said, thank you, Holly. I called her Holly. And remember that? I called her Holly. I was so embarrassed. Thank you, Nicole. So we're in this series um, on, um, on the hunt through the book of Ecclesiastes, and this book has addressed many different themes, themes in life that all of us have to deal with. It talked about pleasure, it talked about, it's talked about money and friendship and work and relationships and sex, busy schedules, uh, and today we're, we're going and looking at a topic that is going to and is very applicable to every one of us. And it doesn't come all at the same time, but it does come to all of us. It's the topic of grief, grief. And so, and so as, as, we, as we go into this topic, I, I come into it in a way knowing that we all have different, different experiences with grief and every one of us grieves in a different way. And, uh, and I really, the goal, I, I hope that we could be equipped as a church to um, not just only grieve well ourselves, but to know how to walk through grief with others. What are some helpful things to do as we walk through hard times with people? And what are some helpful things to not do or not, not to say? And so this is a quote from Earl Grohlman. He, he is a, or I think he's passed now, but he was a rabbi that specialized in dealing with grief counseling. And he says, grief is not a disorder, a disease, or a sign of weakness. It is an emotional, physical, and spiritual necessity. It's the price that you pay for love. The only cure for grief is to grieve. The only cure for grief is to grieve. Now, there's all kinds of different grief that we see in life, and we see also illustrated in the scriptures. One of those is the type of grief that's like an anticipatory grief. It's in a situation where you know something is coming. It can either be due to an illness, a terminal illness, or it could be due to a relationship or a marriage that you you know is coming to an end. And so you are anticipating the fact that something is going to happen, that you're going to experience some loss. There's also delayed grief when some tragedy happens in your life and you don't find yourself or you're noticing in someone else that they're just not seeming to grieve at all. And the delayed grief may come months or even years down the road. There's commune, I can never say this word, collumative, where you gather all the grief together. <laughs> I even practice that and I still can't get it right. Um, grief when, when you experience one loss and before you have worked through the grieving process, you're hit with another, uh, another, um, another, description of this kind of grief is called grief overload. Then you have prolonged grief where it just stretches on. You can have exaggerated grief. You can have abbreviated grief. And then you can have, which is probably the most dangerous of them all, absent grief. And, and so we're talking about grief this morning for really three 
three main reasons. The first one is that we, as a community, both a church community and a, a community physically, have experienced some grief in, in our area and in our church over the last month or so, maybe even more so than normal. So that's one reason why it's valuable to talk about grief. The other reason why is because we're going into the holiday season. Now, if you didn't know, Thanksgiving's coming up in just a few weeks, and holidays are oftentimes most difficult for many people, especially those that have experienced some form of a loss in, in, recent, in the recent years, and so it brings up memories, it brings up feelings, and so um, it's good to be aware of this topic. And then thirdly, the reason why we're dealing with it, and probably the primary reason why, is because this particular issue is brought up over and over again in Solomon's musings as he, as he writes in his journal, which we know as the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you haven't already turned there, please do turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7, we're going to start reading in verse 2. Okay, verse 2, it says this. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. So we all experience sorrow. It's a common experience for all of us in life. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are they that mourn, uh, for they will be comforted. The Holy Spirit allows us to go through, and, and God allows us to go through grief for many different reasons, most of which we may not see until after the fact, and sometimes we may never see the purpose behind the grief. But it, in, in many senses, grief works uh, the same way on a bigger scale probably, but in the same way of like childbirth. I haven't experienced this firsthand, but I understand in observing it that there is the pain of the labor or the pregnancy where you have to grow and you have to deal with aches and you have to deal with pain and uh, there's a struggle that is ensuing, but you have in mind what's going to happen, you know, and the fact that not very long you're going to be holding a little a little guy in your lap. And when that child has finally comes through labor, all of that pain and all of that grief comes, comes to the, goes to the background and you, you're just looking at the things that are joyous and most, most valuable to you. But Solomon, he, as he talks about grief, he, he says it's better to go to the house of mourning um, than a house of feasting. It's better to be around and be understanding the fact that death is a reality of life than run from it and pretend it's not there. And there's a whole bunch of different reasons why that can be the case. He seems to point here just to be telling us not to, to avoid sorrow, not to avoid grief, not to run from it, but to grow through it instead because wisdom is at the heart of what he's talking about. Wisdom tends to strengthen us. When we go through grief, wisdom will take those experiences and give us a long-lasting understanding, a long-lasting vision. And then also in Psalms 90, verse 12, it says, Teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may have a heart of wisdom, wisdom, and so as we, we talk about wisdom, we're, we're talking about it because it's an important aspect of our lives and our lives together as a church and our lives together um, in this in this community specifically. 
So there's a number of different um, kinds of grief that we talked about, all these different expressions or forms of grief, but there's pretty common, and, and we had this conversation, I had this conversation a couple times this week with some of you, there's stages of grief that when someone experiences grief, they go through these stages. And so um, I wanted to... Oh, there it is. I wanted to um, look at these stages of grief. Um, they say denial is one. Uh, anger is another. Bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. And this kind of shows them kind of going in a progressive fashion. But my experience in, in going through grief myself, as well as walking through grief with some of you, it doesn't, grief isn't clean like that. <laughs> it doesn't work um, on a line progressive where you end up at a happy place and in, in the center, really, the acceptance, although it might be some, the end of this, the end of this grieving process, is is truly a place where we stop resisting what's happening in our heart, and we are able to embrace the fact that grieving is important, an important part of the process. It doesn't mean that we'll never hurt again. If you didn't hurt down the road, that's that's a bigger negative indicator of what's going on in your heart. But there's these different phases and different styles, and it's not showing this to talk pop psychology because that's not at all what we're about, but it is as followers of Christ, we want to be able to recognize as we walk with people through grief that they may be going through these different stages, and it may be helpful for you in, in, in how you might walk alongside with them. So hopefully this morning, real quick, I'm going to go over a couple things that we should never do as a church as we walk through grief with someone and some things that we would be good biblical indicators of it. And I want to say this, I feel like a total hypocrite talking about this because um, some of these things I'm about to say should never be done are things that I have done this last month. And um, and so in preparing for this, I, I realized that all of us, when it comes to grief, we don't do it perfect. And there's lots of grace in that. And, and oftentimes it's the heart that, that really matters. But hopefully if we can be equipped with some of these things, it will really help, help us walk in the future. So some things not to do here, some things not to do is, one, don't resist reaching out. Don't resist reaching out. In Mark 10:45, Jesus came to not to be served but to serve. Um, he, he saw a need, and he had a will of his father, and he reached out. He, he came down. We're going to celebrate that through, through the Christmas season, the coming of our Savior and Lord. And so when you hear about someone going through grief, the thing that I hear from many of you, and I feel myself, is oftentimes, well, I don't want to bother them. I, I, you know, I'm sure they're overwhelmed with things. I'll just kind of wait. Um, but I would say don't, don't, don't do that. If, if they can't handle it, they won't have their phone on, or they won't answer their door, or they won't respond to the text. But there's power in, in you just letting that person know that you're there, that you're present, that you are, you are there for them. So don't resist reaching out because of thinking it might push them away or they might get mad at you. Um, that might happen. I've never had it happen. But most likely, it, it will be received well, and it, it, again, it shows your, your love and your compassion. The other thing uh, to avoid doing is uh, don't feel the need to give answers. In, in many senses, I wouldn't try to give answers. Uh, I would avoid answers. The, the, the scripture, and if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, out of your mouth, 429, 429. Do not let any un- unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who hear or benefit those who listen. And oftentimes we get in a situation and we're afraid of silence. 
And so we try to say things, and, and it's okay not to allow, um, it's okay not to say anything. It's okay just for your presence to speak to this person. Or if so, be careful not to, not to be brief. And I think this is where the third thing comes in. It's uh, don't use the, the, the catchy cliches if you can avoid this at all. Things like everything happens for a reason or, you know, time heals all wounds. Some other ones that um, aren't always very helpful that, I, you know, that I've said as well. It must have been their time or, you know, it's, it was, you know, you went through this difficult you went through this difficult situation, it's okay, you can get remarried, or you can always have other children. It, anything that would minimize the pain that that person's in can be really difficult. I remember a good friend of mine, his dad passed away, and, and I showed up at the, the, the memorial service, and I walked up to the front row, and um, it, all with good intentions, I overcame the fear to say something, and I walked up to him, and I looked at him and I, in the eye, and I just said, how are you doing? You know, kind of just trite. How you doing? Just kind of said it. And it was a good thing he's a good friend, but he looked at me and I remember the look he gave me in the eye that said, did you really just ask me how I'm doing? You're at my dad's funeral. You really just asked that? And I remember just feeling like, I still feel this tall just telling you that story. Uh, but uh, that's one of those things where it, it happens oftentimes. So when, when it comes to it, and we're going to talk about Job in just a second, but one of the things that Job's buddies did so terribly was they opened their mouth and said things that they ought not to have. So, so those are a few things not to do, but I think more importantly, what are the things that we, we should do as we walk through grief with somebody? First, ask Holy Spirit to lead you. First and foremost, we're, we're, we're creatures, there are new creatures in Christ. We're going to experience that through, through baptism here in just a moment. But we are new creatures and we're driven by the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 13, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. And so let, let the words that do come out of your mouth, if they do, be led by the Holy Spirit. And, and then next, if you, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Job. Job, just flip back a couple from Ecclesiastes, but Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Job's friends didn't do much right when it came to grieving, but this is one area that they started out right. It said this, when Job's three friends, and I'm not going to say their names, heard about all of the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together in agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him um, from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads and they sat on the ground with him. For seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. No one said a word to him. So um, they let their presence be felt by just being there, and they kept their words to themselves. Uh, another really simple thing is probably one of the better things to do is just to say you're sorry. And again, the point here is that you would empathize, that you would have an empathetic heart. You don't have to say much, but to say that you're sorry for what they're, they're going through and what they've gone through is, is uh, one of the best things that you can say. 